listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Separation. The action of being moved apart. There are almost no examples that I can think of uh, of this word that reflect a positive meaning. I mean, there are some, but if you separate a plant from sunlight and water, uh, in most cases, the plant is going to die, right? Uh, Sometimes people who are married separate for a period of time, which in a lot of cases is a precursor to divorce. Even in cooking, if you separate your noodles from the boiling water too soon, your noodles don't get cooked thoroughly. And that's pretty much the extent of my knowledge of cooking, pretty much. Uh, I remember when my youngest son, Owen, uh, first started preschool, and he went through what they call separation anxiety. And uh, he, he's such a sweet boy, and he's actually the only extrovert in our household, which means he loves to be around people, and he's charged up around people. And, and to this day, on any given Sunday afternoon, while the rest of us are completely wiped out from being social at church, um, Owen is like fully charged up to the max and like ready to head right back out the door to go hang with all of his friends and stuff. And I remember when he was little, we would get him ready for preschool, and he would be so excited, and uh, he would, we would get him dressed, you know, feed him breakfast and Eggo waffles, of course, and, and, uh, and we would listen to, like, his favorite songs on, on the way to preschool, and I, I would get him out of his car seat, and he would take my little hand, you know, his little hand, actually, my hands are not little, yeah, I, I would take his little hand, rather, and... Uh, and, you know, we would walk right up to the preschool with no fuss, and uh, all was right in the world until we got about 10 steps away from his classroom. Um, does any, any other parents know what I'm talking about? We, we, got like, we would get like 10 steps away from the door of the classroom, and the reality of the situation that was about to happen would sink in to Owen. And, and uh, all of a sudden, my little people person would burst into tears and grab hold of my leg with a death grip that I'm pretty sure the Hulk even couldn't break. And um, through his tears and soft whimpering, you know, we, w- we would talk to him and, you know, say, it's okay, we're going to be coming back to get you. And eventually sheer panic would set in. And, he, and then there would come some very loud words like, I don't want to go, you know, and, and sometimes Kim and I would carry him into his classroom and try to get him interested in a toy or something and then kind of quietly sneak out or whatever. Any, any parents pulled that trick? Yeah, right. And, uh, uh, and, and other times, honestly, there was just nothing we could do. We had to leave him with the teacher crying, and that was always extremely painful for me because I knew that the cause of his anxiety was centered around separation from us. Uh, We were his safe place, right? Like his protectors. And the separation from us, from his perspective, made the world around him feel like a vast 
and lonely, strange place, even if it was for only a few hours a day and they had juice boxes. Um, But being separated from the ones you love is never an easy thing, but that is exactly where we find Jesus, the Son of God, hanging on the cross as if he was a criminal and treated like the lowest of the low, Um, the Son who was present on the day that the world experienced its birth, was now being hung like the scum of the earth. Like, and we're in this series, we're in week three of this series called The Way of the Cross. And we've talked about what it means to bear your cross and how being a disciple of Christ means willingly walking towards your crucifixion and, and how the cost of your faith journey may feel great, but that it's nothing with, to the surpassing worth of gaining Jesus. And, amen. That's right. And we, we've also discussed the cross as a symbol and how you know, it can very quickly lose its depth in, our t- in today's society. And, and last week, Brian began uh, to reflect on the immense torture and agony the Romans would inflict on those who had been sentenced to crucifixion and, and how just like the thief hanging uh, next to Jesus on his own cross, we deserve punishment because of our inheritance through Adam. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which means we can never be good enough to enter in relationship with God on our own. Uh, God is completely holy, and he can't have sin in his presence. So no matter how respectable of a person you are, no matter how many good deeds you do, uh, we we all uh, have sin in our lives that we can't deal with on our own. And because of that, we deserve to be separated from God as punishment. And th- this thief on the cross uh, next to Jesus, the thief fully admits to Jesus that he was getting the punishment he deserved. Like he earned this cross, you know? And, and, and that he believed Jesus was innocent. And I love this beautiful exchange between Jesus and the repentant thief in Luke 23, 42. You don't have to turn there, but um, it says this. And, and, he, and the thief said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. The, the thief recognizes Jesus' Jesus's kingship. Right, And as a result, receives the promise of paradise, eternity with God. And, and just like you and I can. And, and we can receive that same promise by confessing our sins and recognizing Jesus as Lord today. A lot of people want to recognize Jesus as Savior, but they don't want to recognize him as Lord right, Lord over their lives. And, and so by recognizing Jesus as Savior and Lord today, even though we deserve punishment, uh, we can enter into the presence of God. And, and, and though he was blameless, Jesus willingly took the punishment that was ours to bear on himself to the point of death. 
And this is where we find Jesus in Matthew 27, beginning at verse 45. That's where, this is where we're going to spend most of our time today. Matthew 27, verse 45. Um, I want to read it to you. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is my God. My God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge filled with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over him, saw Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. All right, so let's, uh, let's break this down a bit because there are some really easy to miss things, really easy to miss details in, in this account. And Jesus has been beaten and mocked, mercilessly taunted for the hours leading up to his death. And in, in verse 45 tells us that an ominous, unnatural darkness covered the land in, at the sixth hour, which would have been about noon. In Luke 19, Jesus is making, actually back in Luke 19 before the crucifixion, Jesus is making his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, which Brian referenced earlier, and a whole multitude of disciples began worshiping God in a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. And they were saying, uh, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of them began to throw palm branches in his path. And, And I bring that up not only because it's Palm Sunday, but the Pharisees told Jesus to rebuke those worshipers and tell them to basically like knock it off, right? And and Jesus says to the Pharisees, like, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out with praise. And I bring that up because on the day of Jesus's crucifixion, it seems like the earth didn't cry out the praises of Jesus, it seems like it wept with heartbreak for his agony in darkness, right alongside the Father. This was a thick, heavy with disapproval kind of darkness that covered the land. And right about three o'clock, when the priests would have been preparing the offering for the evening sacrifice in the temple. Uh, Jesus lets out this cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This cry was a cry of separation. The communion between the Father and Son had been broken, 
cut off because as I said earlier, that is the punishment that we deserved. And Jesus took that punishment on himself. Some standing around thought he was calling out to Elijah to come and save him. But Jesus was calling out to his father who had removed his hand from him. Again, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. And then the Bible says something very interesting. It says in verse 50, Jesus yielded up his spirit. Yielded. In other translations, it says he gave up his spirit. Why is that interesting? It's because even in death, Jesus maintains authoritative control over his destiny. Jesus yielded his spirit to the Father when the moment was right. So what was so special about this moment? Remember those priests I was telling you about, the ones preparing for evening sacrifices in the temple. As Jesus gave up his spirit and the earth began to quake, something unbelievable happened. See, there was this there were different sections within the temple. And uh, there, there were sections where priests and men could freely enter, but there was this sacred space called the Holy of Holies. And this was the earthly dwelling place of the presence of God. No one was allowed to go in there except for the high priest, and he could only go in once a year. And the high priest could only enter the Holy of Holies that one time per, per year with the specific purpose of entering into God's presence for all of Israel to make atonement for their sins. As the name might suggest, the Holy of Holies was hollowed, ground, and, and set apart from the rest of the temple by this huge curtain. In some translations, it calls it a veil. When I think of a curtain, I think of the ones you see at Target, like the, the thin, sheer ones that don't really do much, you know, like they don't block much sun, you know, um, or a veil, like I think of a bride's veil, the thing that's like concealing the bride's face before, you know, her beauty is exposed. And, and, and the, the, this veil, this curtain was not like that in, in any way. Um, th- those wouldn't have made a very good deterrent, but in Jewish tradition tells us that this curtain was somewhere around 60 feet tall and four inches thick. Four inches thick, right? And, and uh, this hefty curtain was the only thing that was separating the people from the actual presence of God. Think about that for a moment, right? That should set us in awe. And as Jesus let out his last cry around three o'clock, the earth began to quake and the rocks began to split. The priests were in the temple preparing the evening sacrifices and this massive curtain, the separation between all people and God split it physically tore in two from top to bottom. And presumably right before the priest's very eyes. The way that was shut was now wide open. 
The presence of God was no longer confined to a sacred space. The people of God were free to enter the presence of God. Because with Jesus' death on the cross, he became the ultimate sacrifice for sin. He became the ultimate high priest. Jesus, through his blood, atoned for our sins so that we didn't have to live separate from God. Jesus took the separation from the Father that was ours by right and opened the way to God. That's the way of the cross. The way of the cross leads to freedom. Some of you might be thinking like, what kind of father puts his son through all this? How could you, how cold do you have to be to separate yourself from your child while they suffer such agony? And I don't want to make any direct connections between um, what Jesus did, but ask any parent that has had to stand by and watch their child go through something excruciatingly painful because they knew it was right. I remember when my oldest son, Dylan, was just a few weeks old, he got severely sick. And we had to take him into the hospital because he was so ill and they needed to get an IV in him like as soon as possible or he was going to be even more at risk. And the medical staff tried their best to get this IV in his little arms. And even despite their great skill as medical professionals, they, they just missed time and time again because his arm was so little. And, and it got to the point where they had to separate him from us and take him to another room. And I remember, I will never, ever forget this. I remember standing in the doorway of our hospital room while I heard the cries of my son down the hall. And I tell you guys, I had never in my life felt such pain. Here's this little boy on the verge of fighting for his life, and all I could do was stand by, pray, and watch the hospital staff do their job. And at that point in my life, I had never felt so helpless. But I knew my little boy, I knew if my little boy was going to get well, this was right. This was right. And I... It was right despite how painful it was. And I believe that this is what the Father God was feeling when he was watching his son endure a criminal's death. I believe he felt every ounce of Jesus' pain as he stood by. But I also know that he knew that it was right. This selfless act of his one and only son would fling the curtain open wide for all his sons and daughters to enter into his presence. And I believe that Jesus knew that, knew it too. Um, when Jesus cried out back in verse 46, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, 
That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's not exactly what it seems to be. Jesus is actually quoting a psalm there. He's quoting Psalm 22, which reads like this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, and by night, but I find no rest. Now here's the shift, verse three. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, in your father's trust, in you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. There's this give and take in Psalm 22 where uh, when you look at the whole thing, there are moments of pleading for rescue and there are moments of this resolve in God's righteousness. And, and until the last few verses are spoken, um, it, there's, a, there's a greater hope than rescue that is found. In the last few verses, starting at verse 25, it says, From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vow I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. And the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him, shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. He has done it. I love that. The way is open. There is no separation for all people. I have to believe that this is the resolve that was on Jesus' mind as he hung on the cross for you and me. And uh, Melody, if you could come, come up and play a little bit. As, as we move into a time of communion, but before we get to communion, I want to give those who are still living separate from God a chance to go beyond the veil and enter into his kingdom, his presence. Maybe all of this is new information to you. Uh, I want you to know that you don't have to live like this anymore. Everything can change today. You don't have to be in exile anymore. You can enter into the family 
when you are ready to lay your burdens down at the foot of the cross and let Jesus have them. I hope that today is the day because on the other side of the cross, there is a spring of like there is a spring of life unlike anything we've, we've ever seen. I want us all to pray this prayer together. Would you stand? And, and if you're praying it for the first time and, you're, and you mean it, like you're not just saying words, but you're meaning it in your heart. I, if you're praying it for the first time, I want you to tell someone. It can be me. It can be Ricardo. It can be your friend that you came with. But we want to celebrate you, celebrate this with you if this is your first time praying this prayer and meaning it. I want us all to pray this prayer together. Repeat after me. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. That you died on the cross to rescue me from sin and death. And to restore me to the Father. I choose now to turn from my sin. And my self-centeredness. In every part of my life. That does not please you. I choose you. I give myself to you. I receive your forgiveness and ask you to take your rightful place in my life as my Savior and Lord. Come reign in my heart. Fill me with your love and your life. And help me to become a person who is truly loving. A person like you. Restore me. Jesus, live in me. Love through me. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. We're going to move into a time of communion now as the Lord asked us to remember him by breaking bread and, and taking the, the wine and this bread and, and this wine, except for it's actually juice, um, it represents the blood that was spilled on the cross. It represents the body of our Savior that was broken. And He asked us to, when, when we do this, remember Him. So 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three says, For uh, the Lord Jesus on the night He was betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup 
after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And he is coming again. So I want to invite you now as you're ready to come forward and take communion. You can sit and pray and be in the moment. You can grab the person you came with and spend a few moments in prayer. But as you're ready, come forward and take the juice and the bread back to your seat and savor the moment with Christ. Savor the sacrifice. And when we're all finished up, we'll continue on in worship. And so I just want to pray over this time right now before, before I invite you forward. Father God, thank you for sending your son. Hosanna. Thank you, Jesus, for opening the way to God for us, to taking the punishment that we deserve so we didn't have to live cut off from God. We love you. We invite your Holy Spirit to dwell here. Deepen the cross in our hearts. Deepen your sacrifice. Let it not just be a symbol that hangs on a wall or a necklace, Lord, but let us remember the depth of your love for us. We come now to your table and remember you as you asked. Be in our very midst, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may come forward when you're ready. podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.